Hi, and welcome to E2 Talks. In this episode, Jay speaks with Rocco from IDP about the differences between IELTS academic and IELTS general training, followed by an in-depth discussion of IELTS general writing task one. Rocco gives lots of great advice for how to prepare for IELTS general in order to reach the scores you need. Enjoy. Hello, Rocco. How's it going? Oh, very well, thank you, Jay. And, you, and yourself? I'm pretty good. Um, thanks for coming down. Uh, today, what we're going to talk about broadly is the difference between IELTS Academic and IELTS General. Um, I want to go through the structure of IELTS General and focus in on that actual test. And I really want to focus uh, towards the end of the conversation on writing task one, which is significantly different from the academic test. But before we go and start doing all of that stuff, can you please introduce yourself? Well, yes, uh, my name is Rocco and I've been involved in English language teaching in this industry for about 25 years or so. And I've had the good fortune of working here in Australia, overseas in Japan and China. Mm -hmm. And I've also worked on various online platforms as a teacher, a teacher trainer, worked in management and assessment. A lot of different roles I've had over the years. Okay. And I've been involved um, with IELTS for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And what's your role at IDP IELTS at the moment? I am an IELTS expert with IDP, so I help provide them some content about the exam and give provide some tips and advice for potential test takers. Okay, nice. And you actually teach IELTS prep courses yourself, is that right? Yes, um, I do teach at TAFE Queensland Brisbane um, and I do IELTS preparation classes there. Gotcha, okay, right. So you, you know the ins and outs of this test. Very much so, yes. Okay, great. That's, that's what we've got you here for. Um, all right, let's start really broadly. Um, if somebody's thinking about or needing to take an IELTS test, uh, what's the difference between IELTS academic and IELTS general training? Well, Jay, I guess the first thing people should consider is what is the purpose of taking the test? If right. it's for, perhaps if it's for academic entry, they might want to consider the academic test. Yep. Or even if, if it's for professional registration, like if you're a, a health professional, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, however, for migration purposes, there is the IELTS general uh, test to consider. Right. Uh, but with the nitty-gritty of the test, I guess the speaking and the listening is identical in both of the tests. Okay, yep. Um, the reading does have some differences. Yep. And the writing is where the greatest difference occurs. Okay, okay. So, so broadly we could say that academic, um, IELTS academic is for university entrance and perhaps uh, employment for some professions like doctors and nurses. Um, and then general training is immigration, but perhaps individuals should really look for themselves as to which test they need to take. Yes, and also check with the institution. I mm -hmm. mean, most academic institutions will accept academic only, but you might find there's a vocational college who'd be willing to accept a general test. Right. I think it's worth um, contacting the institution directly yeah. to see what they will accept. Good one. Yeah, I know that universities, for example, have a specific landing page on their website where they tell you uh, what scores you need, oh, sorry, what tests you can take and what scores you need. So Yes, sometimes they'll give you a range. It could be um, an average of 6.5 with uh -huh. no score less than 6, for example. Yep, okay, okay. Cool, all right. So you mentioned that uh, speaking and listening are the same in both tests. So let's start there and perhaps talk about speaking just briefly. Um, what happens in an IELTS academic or IELTS general speaking test? 
Well, the first thing when the person is uh, taken into the room, they, they sit down, there's of course some formalities to go through first about ID and, and checking on, of ID and things like that. Mm -hmm. But once the test proper begins, uh, there are three parts to the test. Mm -hmm. uh, part one, part two, part three. Part one and part two are actually more uh, personalised questions about personal situations. Mm -hmm. And part three, I guess, is more of a deeper discussion. Yeah. Um, the topics in part one could vary. It could be about what they do, where they live, uh, hobbies and interests, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that runs for about five minutes, up to five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that, there is, in, in part two, there is the individual long term. So there yep. the speaker has to talk by themselves for two minutes. Yeah, uh, They are given a minute of preparation time and yeah. they can take notes. Uh, but they're pretty much left by themselves for two minutes to describe perhaps uh, a person or an event. It could be something from the past, something they do at the, pre at the present, at present, or even something they would intend to do in the future. Mm -hmm. But still at a very personal kind of level. Right. The part three topic is connected to part two. Mm -hmm. So let's say in part two you're talking about your favourite teacher from high school. Yeah. And therefore part three, the topic is education in general. Gotcha. Or about um, being an educator. Yeah. So not the questions are not personalised. Mm. So that's why I would encourage people in part three, maybe use your own personal experiences but address it in a broader way. Mm, right, yeah. It really does get you to extend uh, your vocabulary and, and, and your ideas, doesn't it, in part three? Absolutely. See, if you address them in a very personal way, your range is very limited. Yeah, yeah. If you answer them in, a, in an abstract way, you're more inclined to speak with a wider range of vocabulary and more complex sentences. Yeah, good one. Okay, cool. So speaking is the same for academic and general, and what about listening? Well, there are four sections to, to the listening test. Mm -hmm. There are ten questions in each section. And it's the same for academic and general? That's correct. Okay. Yes. So yep. each question is worth one point each. Yep. Section one and section three are very similar because there's more than one speaker. Mm -hmm. There's yep. a discussion. Yep. Um, in part three, in section three though, it's a little bit different because the, the subject matter is something academic related or study related. There's yep. like some students with a, a tutor or professor, for example. Yeah. Uh, section two and section four are also very similar in that they are monologues. They're just one speaker. Yeah. The difference being that section two is a topic of that's quite general, but section four is a topic that's a little bit more specific. Okay, okay, sure. So in that uh, section four, where there might be a university professor and some students, those topics, sorry, it's section three, um, are they are those topics academic in nature? And is, is that challenging for a general student? Broadly, right. uh, it could be students discussing a, a report or a project that they're doing. Okay. So, the, so it's not microbiology or something? No, but they'll, they'll be talking about um, um, their collaboration or which books should we read gotcha. for, to, to research this topic. Okay. So there's things like agreeing and disagreeing. Yeah and trying to reach consensus on things perhaps. So it's more about the picking up on the interactive 
communication between people. Okay, okay. So more sort of the context is academic rather than the subject matter. That's right. So it's you know listening to recommendations and suggestions and and things like that, for example. All right, good. Now I understand that in the reading section uh, there is a difference between the academic and general. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Well, well, first of all, I'd have to say that the question types are actually pretty much the same. Yeah. True, false, not given in academic, true, false, not given in general. Right. Although you probably wouldn't find, like, labelling a diagram perhaps in the general test, that's, that's uh -huh. not as common. Right. Otherwise, the question types tend to be pretty similar. Gotcha. In terms of the, of the different sections, I guess the academic test has three perhaps longer articles and they are some of a general nature and there'll be some of an academic nature. Mm -hmm. In the general test however section three is like that it's one long article but in section two there are two work-related topics. Right. And yeah. in section one they tend to be very much shorter. So the section two articles are, are shorter mm -hmm. and the section one articles are even shorter again. They could be things like advertising or posters and things like that with a shorter amount of um, of items or, or descriptions in, in each of those. Okay. But as I said, the question types are the same. Okay, and what about the nature of the vocabulary in the two different tests? Does that mean that the academic reading test has more sophisticated vocabulary or is it pretty similar, do you think? I think when it comes to the um, one of the articles in particular in the academic test is a little bit more uh, academic in nature. Mm -hmm. However, if there is something technical, there will be a glossary Good for, for yes. those technical words, and you'll see that marked with, a, with an asterisk. Yeah. So in both cases, you don't need to have specialist knowledge mm -hmm. of the subject matter. You are really tested on your English ability. So people do panic about that. Oh, I, what if, the, if it's a topic that I don't know much about? Yeah. However, the questions are designed for general vocabulary. Yes, good one. Yeah, I've actually taken the test five times. So I've had a bit of experience on test day actually doing that. And there was certainly no reading sections where I was like, oh, I don't understand what this is about. It's it's comprehensible. Like for example, looking if you see the word crucial, crucial means very important. Mm -hmm. So that'll, that can pop up in either the general or the academic test. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. Good one. Okay. Um, so just, just to go back a step, sorry, in listening, the question types are also the same between the two tests? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, so what about the writing section of the test, or of the two tests, if we compare them? Is there a difference in writing task two between academic and general? Again, you'll find that the question types are very similar. You'll still be asked, to what extent do you agree or disagree, for yep. example, in yep. both. There may be minor differences in the precision of the question, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So maybe the general test would ask you, for example, uh, should public transport be free? Maybe in the academic, they could ask you, should public transport be free for children? Uh -huh, I see. So maybe there's a little bit more precision in the, in the question, but the question types are still the same. Discuss um, both of these views and, your own, and include your own opinion. Yep. Um, advantages versus disadvantages or perhaps two-part questions 
they will they will appear in both. So really in task two, I don't see a lot of difference between the two. Okay, great. And word counts the same? Absolutely. Minimum of 250 words yep. for task two and minimum of 150 words in task one, of course. All right. And what about how they're scored? Is it the same set of criteria that they're scored against or is there a separate criteria for general and separate for academic? No, the... the uh, rating criteria is exactly the same. All right, cool. So the assessor would use uh, the same criteria regardless of whether it's an academic or a general test. Okay, great. All right, I want to uh, dig into the criteria uh, in this next section that we're going to talk about, which is writing task one where there is a significant difference between academic and general. So uh, can you briefly talk about the academic test, uh, writing task one, and then let's dig into the IELTS general academic task one. Uh, IELTS general writing task one, rather. Okay, well, let's start with the academic one first. Mm -hmm. And so, you ask in terms of the rating criteria? Uh, just the actual task itself. So, let's okay. talk about academic briefly, and okay. then we'll talk about general in more depth. So, in terms of the academic test, mm -hmm. um, the test takers will have something visual. Yeah. And they've got to uh, transfer that visual into something written. So, for example, there could be graphs like um, there's a line graph and they've got to des describe and compare the trends in a line graph. Yep. Other types of questions perhaps they may find is um, looking at pie charts. Mm -hmm. There could be a table of data, for example, bar graphs. Yep. There could be a process yep. or even maps as well. Mm -hmm. uh, maps can be a, a floor plan of a building or even something outdoors or geographical, if you like. Yep. Uh, there's that, or it could be a combination of those as well, mm -hmm. yep. in a bar graph and a pie chart in the one task. Yep. So test takers have to describe that, include figures, make comparisons, include all the key features and of course have an overview of the general trends. Yep. That's the main thing there. In the general training test, however, uh, it's a letter. Mm -hmm. And it's not a full letter as you would in real life. You don't have to include uh, addresses and that kind of thing. But there are two types. I guess you can have something more formal and something more informal, like yep. to a friend. Sure. And there are different tasks here. It could be requesting information, mm. um, apologizing for something, nice. um, trying to organize a meeting, um, a letter of complaint. There are a variety of functions there. Nice. But it's important for the test taker to realise whether it's a formal task or an informal task. Yeah, let's, that... let's talk about that for a bit. Because typically it's divided into informal writing to a friend, semi-formal writing to a colleague at work who you know, and then formal writing to someone that you don't know, like a, uh, applying for a job. Is that correct? Yeah, you'll also find with the semi-formal one, it could be, as you said, to someone that you know. So it could be mm. a professor yeah. or a teacher or a, or a manager yeah. where you, you do know the name of the person, but there is some kind of... Um, not, not as much closeness as it is with, with a friend, for example. So with all those three, the, the important thing there is is the tone of the letter. Mm. Being too formal to your friend, it's going to affect the tone. Mm. Or being too casual, say, to a manager or in a letter of complaint, for example, that can affect your tone as well. So, And that's something to, to be careful of. The letter, I see it as a, it's a cultural question. Mm. And that's one thing the test takers need to, be, need to be careful about because how you complain, for example, in an Anglophone culture mm -hmm. might be 
similar, or it could actually be different to how you complain in a in a different culture. Yeah. yeah. So that it's, they have to understand that how to apologize. In some cultures, people apologize in a particular way, mm. maybe in a, in a different style to in mm. Anglophone cultures. Mm. So um, people aren't aware of sometimes of, of the cultural expectation of the letter. I lived in South Korea for a couple of years, and their language has this uh, aspect called honorifics, whereby if someone is slightly older than you, like one year older, then there will actually be a change in the vocabulary that you use when you address them and speak to them. Um, so formality, what, do, what does tone mean here for somebody who's taking this test? Is it a matter of vocabulary and phrase choice? Is there, what else is it? I think there's, there's that. Um, for example, if you want your money back in a letter of complaint, mm -hmm. you want to ask for a refund. Right. If you write, I want to get my money back. Give me my money. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, a definitely word choice. Yep. But sometimes being too assertive Right. In some Anglophone cultures, you would ask, look, I'm sorry to trouble you. Um, um, if possible, I would dearly love to have, have my money returned to me. Yep. Uh, if, rather than saying, I demand my money be returned to me. Mm. So even though the word demand is formal, I guess that there is um, an issue of tone there. It's maybe too aggressive, even though the language choice okay. is formal. Yep. So it's, it, as I said, it, it is a cultural type of question. Mm, okay. Okay. How would you recommend people practice that? Because that's a, that's a really nuanced sort of um, understanding of writing, isn't it? This is beyond just grammar, vocab, structure. This is, it, it's a great skill to learn because it's something they're going to have to learn how to do. Well, that's actually a very good question. I guess they have to be immersed or exposed to some kind of, of authentic um, a natural or native type yeah. of either correspondence or I wonder mm. even if there's any kind of um, something verbal. You know, I wonder if watching TV dramas, for example, mm -hmm. where there are exchanges with things, people can be upset or yeah. people can ask for information mm. or um, make a suggestion or make an invitation. Yeah. They do that verbally. So I guess a lot of that can be transferable into writing. Good one. Interesting. So you mentioned purpose as well, and we sort of, uh, we've talked about the formality and tone of the, the letter. It's directly linked to the purpose, isn't it? Because if you're um, wanting a refund or apologizing or um, applying for something, that goes hand in hand with the nature of the vocabulary. Um, can you talk about purpose? I understand this is a really important part of how they're scored as well because their purpose has to be quite consistent through the letter, doesn't it? And, and yes, quite clear. So it's very, uh, very important at the commencement of the letter mm. to include what the general purpose is. Yep. I, I, I'm writing to uh, inquire about some information yep. from one of your services. So a, a very brief um, uh, point in there. Yeah. And also having your connectors when you move from bullet point to bullet point. Actually, a second question I have to ask is, because if the, if the, if the prompt says um, ask for ask questions or ask for various pieces, pieces of information, mm. so using those various connectors mm -hmm. uh, to relate to those bullet points is also important. 
Yeah. Can you talk about the, the prompt? What do they actually see on test day? How, what, what do they write about? How do they know what sort of letter they're writing? Well, there's a bit of a, um, a general statement to begin with. Like you've, for example, if it's a letter of complaint, you've recently bought a piece of furniture, mm -hmm. you've brought it home, and you've noticed a problem with it. Yeah. Write a letter to the store manager. And that gives you a bit of background information. And that can help you with, with writing your, your purpose at the beginning. And then there are three specific bullet points about what you have to do. You know, explain the, the, describe the furniture, explain the problem, and say what you want them to do. But there's also a hint as well that says you should begin your letter with dear, you might say dear sir or madam, mm -hmm. or it might just say dear dot dot dot. Gotcha. So when they see dear sir or madam, that's an instant giveaway that it is a formal letter. Good one. Yes, yes. Yeah, we have a lot of students. And, and these change, these sorts of titles change across cultures as well. I, I believe like in India, they have titles that um, are certainly used in English, but we don't use them anymore. So that's good that they get that hint so they know what title to use and how to refer to that person. That's great. Okay, um, can we talk about the scoring, we've talked about purpose, which is a part of task response. Uh, task achievement in task Task achievement, one. that's yes. right. Um, let's go through the scoring. So what does task achievement refer to? So it looks at how well you've addressed the prompt, Right. Um, whether you've included everything. So if someone has missed one of the bullet points, they're inclined to lose marks for that. Or you know, if one of the prompts is a plural, Mm -hmm. um, explain these problems. Gotcha. And they mention only one problem, not okay. two problems. Yep. So, um, or if it's not developed enough, or how how developed the response is. So, for the higher bands, the examiner is looking for how developed each response is. Um, sometimes people will cover all the bullet points, but they won't adequately cover them with enough detail. Mm, okay. Now the word count is 150 or more. Yes. Uh, can they adequately cover these uh, bullet points in 150 words? Some people can. Um, some people are very succinct, are very, uh, very, I guess, very efficient with their writing. But there's no harm in writing more than that. If right. someone wants to write 200 words, fine. Um, because sometimes when you're using more complex vocabulary, mm -hmm because the collocation is longer yep. or more complex grammar, you're bound to go past 150 words quite easily. The 150 is seen as a minimum. It's not as, as a, it has to be exactly at 150 gotcha. words. Gotcha, okay. Yes. No, so yeah, so a, a fully developed answer uh, is one that has explored all of that and extended it sufficiently. Okay. And, and they, the test takers should always think, is there anything else I can add? Mm. Think about that. Is there anything else I can add to make this a better response? Yeah. And the, the good thing about general writing task one is those dot points almost are your plan for the letter. Like in the essay, you're not provided with some sort of structure like that. Whereas um, in general writing task one, you obviously need to sit and think and read it very carefully and perhaps to think about the content that will become each of the paragraphs, which will be um, each of those dot points. Um, okay, um, anything more you want to add about task achievement there? Or? Uh, let's see. So I guess we've covered tone, uh, yep. purpose, and about development, development. Of, of, of that. That's, that's, they're the important they're ones. The, they're I, the key I'd ones. Yes. Okay, and next on the list from my memory is coherence and cohesion. Yes. Can you talk about those? 
Right. So this looks at uh, things like paragraphing. So mm. letters also need paragraphs too. Yeah. Uh, I would encourage test takers to ensure they have got multiple sentences mm -hmm. in their paragraphs and they've got good connectors. Mm -hmm. So uh, like with regards to the, these problems, with regards to is a, is as a connector, but also good referencing as well so they don't repeat their vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Um, so pronouns. Yes, yeah, so I, I bought a piece of furniture yesterday. Um, it looked very good. So mm -hmm. it uh, referring back. Yep. So uh, there's a, and a variety of those. This, that, them, these. Mm -hmm. um, so even higher level responses do that very efficiently and very effectively. Mm -hmm. So looking at um, connectors, a range of those, not repeating the same connector. And, and really blending them in elegantly as well, not just jarringly having, however, therefore, as a result. So they're great, but yeah. to start every sentence with one of those, yeah. it's, a, it's a bit kind of mechanical. Yeah. And the higher band people tend to do it effortlessly and you don't even notice that that's it's right. there. Yeah. So, that's, so don't think they have to start every sentence with one of those. Yeah, I think... Some bad teaching that I've seen sort of says that you need to litter your letter with these connectors, but no, it's more about placing them in the right place at the right time, and they sort of blend in, as you say, effortlessly. Yeah. Um, what about what else is there in coherence and cohesion? Uh, so yes, I guess um, the paragraphing was important. From an essay perspective, it's good to have a clear topic sentence. Mm, yeah, paragraph structures are critical. Absolutely. Yeah. So you need to have a, like a, a main topic in your body paragraph yeah. that continues all the way through rather than switching to something else yeah. halfway. Yeah. I guess in the letter, that's also important. And mm. in, the, in the academic task one, it's also important. Yeah. Um, if you want to, let's say, compare if there are four, li four lines in a line graph mm -hmm. and you only want to compare two of them, it's important to categorise that very clearly early on in your paragraph. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, at the commencement, having a connectors, but also having some kind of um, core idea or topic sentence at the beginning. So then the reader, who is the examiner, can follow the ideas logically. Mm. It's also about uh, coherence. Does it flow? Is there a good progression throughout yeah. the paragraph as well? Yeah. Is it logical? Mm, yeah, 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 great. All right, the next criterion, um, I believe, is grammatical range and accuracy, or at least that's one of them. Yes. So it's not just grammar, and it's not just accurate grammar. Everyone needs to strive to have accurate grammar. I think people understand that. What does grammatical range refer to? I guess this is one thing I worry that a lot of people don't pay as much attention to. People think of grammar as just accuracy yeah. only. Yeah. But the range means a variety of sentence types. And I think of the academic task one where there's a, there's a danger there of people repeating the same, the same sentence structure. Yes. Uh, so variety of sentence types is important. But also that range includes complex sentences, compound sentences, mm. um, rather than having, and this is one piece of advice I've heard, Jay, is that people say, write in short sentences. Oh. Because there's, there's less chance of making a mistake. Oh. True, but <laughs> you're not proving that you have com you've got complex sentences. That's it's, right. Uh, range and accuracy, you need both, you a, need balance, both. a good balance between both. That's right. I, I, if grammatical range were not a part of this criterion, then people could kind of game the test and just write short, simple sentences. And that's right. So that's why you need to test for grammatical range. 
Um, does that grammatical range, you, you mentioned sentence types, like the simple, the compound, the complex, the compound complex, does it also refer to uh, different grammar like conditionals or particular verb tenses and modal verbs and stuff like that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you can have um, a condition sentences, you can have, have an if sentence. Yeah, nice. Um, or otherwise use words like um, without this. So some kind of, I guess, um, consequential sentence using passive voice, mm -hmm. active voice. Yep, throw in a question. You could ask a rhetorical question at, at the beginning, perhaps. Mm, so, especially if your furniture's broken. <laughs> that's How right. could this happen? <laughs> that's right. So, But be careful with those. As long as they sound natural and authentic, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you might want to have a variety of verb tenses using modal verbs. That's a great way to use, do something different. Mm. And, you know, if you use... Modal verbs are great. You can use should, but don't use should all the time. Yep. Um, Use obliged to or right. um, something yeah. like that that could be a synonym perhaps. or Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. One of the recommendations we make is that you shouldn't write according to grammar. You should write according to ideas. And if your ideas are complex enough, then you need complex grammar to express those ideas. I think it's a better way to go about it. Absolutely. Grammar should be contextualized. So when we when we learn grammar, think about what the... Uh, what the context or the purpose is. So if you're in a job or at school, it tends to be that you use a lot of modal verbs of obligation. I have to finish this report. Mm -hmm. um, I must finish this before five o'clock. Yeah. So in that context, modal verbs of obligation tend to be used a lot in work context or study context, right. for example. Yes. So students should think about what is the context that this grammar is used in. Uh, third conditional is you're speculating about past events, yeah. something like that. So think about that form rather than just trying to put that sentence type in there because I should actually put that sentence type in there. Good does, it, does it fit the context? Nice. And the context is, of course, that you have a broken piece of furniture and you're writing a letter of complaint. So yes. it's all set out for you. Cool. All right. So that's grammar. Now, there's also vocabulary. And my understanding is that you're scored on two aspects. One is about precision, like you're using the right word at the right time to convey the right meaning or what's called word choice. But also you are scored on vocabulary range as well because you can't just repeat the same word. Is that right? Yes. So part of that precision is also spelling as well. I'll, I'll, uh -huh. add, I'll add that. Yep. And the appropriateness of the word choice. Yeah. Um, sometimes, and one, something that people have to be careful of is not all vocabulary is transferable from someone's first language into English. Mm. Yes. Um, I know in some of the Romance languages, I think the words sensible and sensitive are swapped around in English, for mm. example. Uh, so, so they have to be careful of things like that. And, um, and making sure that the vocabulary fits also the context as well. Is it the right word to use in this context? Sometimes also, when it comes to back to tone, you know, you can use something more formal, a formal word like imperative instead mm. of important yep. when you're talking to your friend. That's right. And, and phrasal verbs like instead of give back, uh, refund or something yes. like that. Um, but in terms of the range, I guess they should think about collocation as well. Mm. So you could look at the word prefer but you could also look at the word preference as a noun. So one thing is to switch between the different parts of speech, 
between the verb and the noun. Okay. Pref preferable yep. is the adjective. Yep. But then you look at the collocation, Jay, you could say, well, I prefer this, mm -hmm. but I have a preference for this. Mm -hmm. Have a preference for. It's a four-word collocation. Yeah. Um, and that's something the higher bands, um, higher band users use. Yeah. Collocations that are much more complex like that. Yeah. 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 Those collocations really they're really natural sounding phrases that you would hear uh, native speakers or near native speakers using. Uh, yeah. Naturally. And you'll see that that's where precision comes in as well. Mm -hmm. Isn't, maybe they've chosen the word preference well, but they've used the wrong preposition. So I have a preference to mm -hmm. rather than I have a preference for. Yeah. So when they learn their collocations, make sure they learn the whole set. When they learn vocabulary, look at all the different parts of speech and they'll find that there could be a, an uncommon word. Mm. So the higher bands also, um, the examiner's looking for uncommon words for the higher band. So beauty or beautiful tend to be common. Beautify is much less common. Mm. That's the verb form of, of beautiful. Gotcha. So they don't necessarily need to come up with a synonym. They could just change the word form as well, and that's that still counts as uh, range. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I know when people look at their introduction, they try to paraphrase the question or the input, yeah. and they're scratching their head looking for, what's a synonym for this word? Yeah. For computer. Yeah. Uh, then you could say computerized or yep. television televised or something like that where you can just change the part of speech uh, Australia Australian uh -huh. okay interesting yeah one thing they need to be very careful of though is people tend to try to show off and they'll choose a particular word that sounds very fancy but it won't be precise and so there's that balancing act of you need to show a range but it needs to be precise it needs to be the right word like in any of the vocabulary, it, it has to um, be used in an authentic way. Yeah, yep. Um, so it's okay to use plethora. <laughs> oh, plethora, yes. <laughs> yes, um, but make sure the context is right. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know who made that YouTube video, but that <laughs> is that the... I was going to make a new YouTube video, which is uh, if if everybody uses the word gullible, then you'll get an IELTS 9. That's my, <laughs> that's my little joke. If you didn't get that at home, it means don't use the word gullible. You can't get an IELTS 9 from a single word choice. Uh, yes, just be careful what you watch and listen to. Um, great. I think we've covered it. We've covered um, the difference between academic and general. We've gone through each of the sections of the test. Um, we've focused in on writing task one. We looked at the nature of the task, writing the letter, and then we looked deeply at the scoring. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I guess the main thing is if people are not sure about what to do, they should they should ask. Mm -hmm. don't, don't guess. And, you know, even if, regardless of, of your English level, even if you're a native speaker, yeah. get familiar with the test. So they should get familiar with the test and spend time to prepare, uh, not just with exam preparation, which is useful, but, you know, spend, do other things in English. If you like reading about your football team, read about them in English. So combine test preparation with using English in everyday life mm -hmm. and um, and take the test seriously, I guess. And, yeah. and I wish people all the best and good luck. Good one. Thank you very much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for listening to E2 Talks. Remember to check out e2language.com for IELTS courses, and if you need help with general English language learning, check out e2school.com. Thanks!